does Cheng stand for? A Cheng is a combination of chief and engineer. So the chief engineer role gets shortened to Cheng. The Cheng roles are generally uh, technical strong background individuals uh, who have moved into a leadership position and so they are guiding our technical workforce in how we execute our technical work at Crane. again and welcome to another episode of Cheng Chat in the Exploring NSWC Crane podcast. I'm your host Lori Zipes, the Command Chief Engineer at Crane. I have a really great and interesting guest with me today. So I recently had an opportunity to do a 90-day rotation to another Navy organization. While I was out, we had someone sit in to cover my position, and that is who you all get to meet today. So Dr. James Stewart served as the Crane Command Cheng from May through July of this year, and welcome James. Thank you. Happy to be here. Right. So we're going to mix this up a little bit from our regular format. Um, and we decided that James, has, since James has also been Command Chang, that we're going to both kind of play interviewer here. So um, so we're going to ask questions of each other relative to experiences at, in our positions and in the Chang role. Um, and so, but I'm going to get to go first because I always like to let the audience know who it is they're talking with. So we'll start by asking you to please explain what your regular role is here at Crane when you're not sitting in as the Command Chang, and then maybe some perspectives on your career path that got you to this point. Sounds good. Yeah, I appreciate um, you inviting me to this. So, so as you as you mentioned, I'm the Department Chief Scientist for elect the Electromagnetic Warfare or EW Department. So, and just for a bit of context, uh, EW is non-kinetic warfare. So, EW provides our warfighters with the ability, for instance, to, to uh, suppress or, and or prevent detection by radar in an effort to keep missiles from being launched. And if they are launched, um, with EW, we can manipulate the, the spectrum to confuse or seduce that missile away from its target. So my job as the chief scientist revolves around constant surveillance of technologies and concepts that might help us be more successful in this mission, given our warfighters that unfair advantage we always hear about, and bringing those ideas and potential game cha changers back to the department and for Crane to, to potentially um, um, pull into to, to our, our, our assets, our, our weapons, our systems for implementation and awareness. All while providing that, that education on what EW is and why it's important and how it, how it continues to, to evolve. So this entails lots of engagements with academia, UARCs, right? So university-affiliated research um, centers with national labs like AFRL, NRL, um, DARPA. So I spend quite a bit of time just initiating cooperative engagements to, to push technology for the benefit of our, our mission. So a lot of my time as a chief scientist is, is spent hosting workshops and briefing at conferences, you know, moderating and, and conducting and helping to, to lead some of the research. So, so yeah, so that's kind of it. And really the last several years, my main research and focus for the department and mission has been revolving around um, this area we call advanced comet flaws, consumer and deception. Um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of my, my role in a nutshell. Um, regarding my career path, I started here about 20 years ago as an engineer for the EA-6B, the Prowler it's called. Um, again, this is an EW aircraft charged with standoff jamming primarily. The Prowler was replaced by the F-18 variant, the Growler. From there, I became the lead on a DARPA program called HIP, um, Highly Integrated Photonics, leading on my, my background in optics. Um, 
funny little backstory. I suggested to the PM that we call Phase 2 highly optimized photonics. He didn't really think that that was too funny, but I feel like that would have been really cool to have a DARPA program called Hip Hop. <laughs> uh, so then I became the JADO lead. JADO is a group, um, JADO stands for Jamming Techniques Optimization, where we were charged with developing jamming waveforms for the ALQ99 system. It's the jamming pod on, on, that kind of sits below the wing deck. Um, and eventually the, the NGJ or Next Gen Jammer on the growler. And then from there, I was offered the Spectrum Warfare Systems Department Chief Engineer position and eventually the, the Chief Science position I, I hold today. Um, I also serve as the NATO Chairman for um, a group called SEAD, which is Suppression of Enemy Air Defense. Okay, yeah. that's a, quite a lot yeah. <laughs> and a really interesting uh, path. I was just listening to all of that and thinking about all the external connections that you have and, and yeah. kind of thinking for myself about how that's different than the path I had, uh, you know, in the science versus engineering, which we'll, we'll come back to that yeah, uh, for later cool. questions. So, so great. Thank you for sharing <laughs> with, uh, with our audience all of that. And so now it's your turn to get to ask me. Now it's my turn. Yeah. So looking, looking at your, your journey, uh, Lori, you know, from MIT graduate to being selected and accepting the, the lead Chang role at one of the most technical military facilities on the globe, it's blatantly obvious that you don't shy away from challenges. Um, I, I'd say that you you embrace them actually. So, so what has been a standout challenge in your role um, as as a command chain? Yeah. So, so, so I have a thought on that. But actually, as you were talking, it it made me realize something. Um, so, there's a a really interesting uh, and cool challenge uh, that I was given the opportunity to tackle actually early in my career that. Not too many people know about because I don't talk about it much because it was such feels like a lifetime ago, right? Um, but I was actually given the opportunity to go through Navy diver training, um, wow. Navy scuba training. Right? This was back in 1994. Um, I was working in, in diving systems at the time, and uh, um, yeah, so they had civilians going through the school for for reasons you know uh, you don't have time to get into all of that, but. Um, uh, they offered that to me, and I don't think they thought I would say yes. <laughs> but I thought about it and thought, that's pretty cool. Uh, and so I, I did take that opportunity and got in really good shape. Uh, you know, I they did not make any exceptions for me as a civilian or as a female, right? I did every push-up and pull-up and cleaned every toilet and hefted every double scuba tank to put it back on the rack. Uh, and it was quite an experience. Um, but but yeah, that was a that was a challenge for sure um, that I still think is great and probably shaped me in a lot of ways as I as I continued my career after that. Um, but talking about challenges uh, in the command Chang role at Crane, um, for me that what immediately came to mind is that um, you may remember I transferred here to Crane in around 2019, and it was only 18 months later when I was selected for this role. So I had not been at Crane very long. Um, now, of course, I had, you know, 28 plus years at another warfare center. So it's not like I had no idea, you know, what was going on and what to do. Um, very comfortable with the job and excited to have been selected. Um, but people didn't know who I was, right? So now I'm, you know, this, this announcement goes out in an email uh, across this, you know, very large organization announcing who the new Command Chang is. And there were probably a whole lot of people that said, Lori, who? Like, who is she? <laughs> exactly. Like, where did she come from? And, uh, and so that, I, I knew that was going to be um, a, a real challenge um, from two perspectives. Probably the most important perspective to me is that, um, and I think we talked about this in one of my previous uh, sessions of this podcast, is in these roles as chief scientist, chief engineer, um, you know, you, almost without exception, none of us are supervisors, right? We don't have people we can tell what to do. 
we have to lead through influence. Um, and it is very hard to lead through influence when people don't know you. <laughs> um, you have to build those relationships. You have to build that trust. They, they needed to get to know me and what I brought to the table and see for themselves why I was selected, right? Like my background, my credibility, my interests, my passions. That was really what I needed to do was tackle that. But also, um, again, 18 months here and, and again, had some previous experience at a very similar organization, but still you know, a huge organization crane, and I had only been exposed to a piece of it. So I really needed to get out and meet people and understand more of our workload, more of our technologies and capabilities. And so that was the, the biggest challenge uh, coming into the role for sure that I definitely tackled head on. You so. tackled head on mm -hmm. and, and you've done well. Thank you. As, Thank I mean, you. that is an understatement for sure. Yeah. So. Yep, I appreciate it. It's an ongoing challenge, really, yeah. too, because our organization is so large. I'm still learning new yeah. things, right? And, and and we're all moving so quickly and responding yeah. to changes in technologies and in missions. And uh, and so, yeah, it's hard for me to, to keep on top. It's definitely a very proactive task in this role to stay aware of everything that's going on in this really cool organization. So, good. All right. Um, so, my turn again. Um, I would love to know, um, because you were so game to take on this opportunity to yeah. sit in my seat for 90 days, and you probably thought you kind of knew what it was going to be like, but I would love yeah. to know what surprised you uh, about the role. That's a great question. Yeah, no, I did. So I, I figured, because I, you know, again, I was the chief uh, um, engineer of the Chang for the department. Um, so I, I, th I felt like I had a little bit of an idea as to what I was kind of walking into. I felt like it was going to be pretty non-technical, lots of kind of looking in and kind of mentoring. And so that was the biggest surprise to me, really. It was just the broad amount of technical acumen that's that's needed um, in that position. And I would say that I feel like this is a fair statement. It's changed um, the amount of, uh, I guess, technical savvy needed today in this role that you, you hold um, has increased over the last few years. Um, and just through the CCDP, the Career Competency, uh, Competency Development Program, um, you're constantly reviewing technical papers, white papers. You're constantly um, reviewing um, board presentations. You have to stay on top of your game. So, um, yeah, that was a pleasant surprise for sure. But, uh, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, that's actually really interesting. You you have these moments where you realize the things that you're doing have these secondary benefits that you hadn't thought about. Yep. So, you know, I talked a minute ago about how hard it is to keep track of what's going on at Crane. And the funny thing is that as I sit in on these board reviews with our new hires yeah. who do these presentations about what they're working on, that's also inherently exposing me to yep. what's going True. on down way down in the weeds with our new hires, right? At a really well, and it's it's awesome really it to awesome. see that. Uh, yeah. And then inevitably they've got mentors and coaches in the room who have worked with them and so if there's questions they tell me a little more and uh and so i get to meet more people that yeah. way as well um and so it it is a it's a heavy workload um to to keep me you know keep this program going and keep it working smoothly and keeping expectations clear and consistent but there's just so many side benefits to investing that time to do that and that while it is a big burden on my time i'm getting a lot of additional benefits out of it yeah. so i enjoy it i'm glad you experienced that as yeah. well yeah um, absolutely so you've had several positions in your career leadership positions, right? So you were the systems engineer and competency lead. You were the Chang for S&T for the department at, um, for the S&T department at Panama City. Chang for cybersecurity uh, cyber and EW. And now, of course, the command chain here, here at Crane. So, so given all that experience, what advice would you give junior engineers and scientists that are just kind of embarking on their, their technical leadership journey? 
Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, so for me, immediately what jumps out is is never stop learning, right? You have to be a lifelong learner, especially in technology, right? In in the technology domain, your credibility depends on you being competent, and as a technical leader, your credibility is just linchpin, right? Um, as a technical leader. People want to believe that you know what you're talking about, right? And so you need to know what you're talking about. Um, yeah. If you stand up there and you can't, you know, articulate something clearly or it's clear you don't understand something, you, people aren't going to want to follow you, right? Yeah. So that's incredibly important. So so read, keep reading, stay on the leading edge of, of, the, of the technologies and the disciplines that are important to you. Keep taking classes, you know, uh, even if you've done grad school, right? They're just individual classes and all kinds of opportunities to keep your skills sharp. Um, join technical societies. Um, there's there's a couple that I've been involved in. One I'm very involved in that uh, has been more than paid dividends for the time I put into it. And uh, and when you join those technical societies, um, really engage, right? Don't just be in receive mode and expect them to feed you, right? Uh, the more you get engaged, the more you get out of it, um, and it really helps keep you sharp uh, and learn about how other people are applying the the tools and 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 techniques of your of your discipline. Um, gives you a different perspective. Um, so that's all good. So so never stop learning is a big one. The other thing that comes to mind with regard to technical leadership is uh, is building your people skills, right? So we technical folks are often not known for our people skills. <laughs> um, but we're but known those... for not having them, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Um, but those really do matter, and they matter more and more the higher you go, right? And you start to move away. You're not in the lab anymore, right? You're starting to move away from those technical um, skills. And as you mentioned earlier, right, the acumen is still absolutely critical. So you have to have the technical skills, but the people skills become more and more important, right? So emotional intelligence, um, being able to build and guide teams, uh, inspiring people, um, negotiation skills, all of those kinds of things become very important. And again, more so as you go higher, um, because it's more about leading and guiding and shaping the workforce and shaping people um, and not so much the hands-on. And I have, I have often joked about I don't do much math anymore, <laughs> you know, uh, and I miss it. I do miss it. Um, but the tech, technical acumen is still important, but the people skills are what matter more. Um, so that's really important to work on if, you're, if you want to move into the leadership realm um, in the technical domain. And I think one last little piece that uh, kind of comes out of that thought about, you know, you're moving away from being the, 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 the person in the lab, right, to the person leading. Um, and so making sure you recognize that, that kind of caught me off guard just how much that shifted when I got my first official, like, formalized, you are now a technical leader, what we call a high grade here. Uh, I kind of had a moment where I realized, oh, I'm, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not doing the work. I'm now guiding the work and mentoring and shaping yep. and trying to lean forward into, like you mentioned, the, the technologies and everything. Um, it's a very different job. And I don't think I thought that through as carefully as I maybe should have because I missed the technical, yeah, yeah, right? 100%. You get into it because you love it and you kill yourself at engineering school because, and then you want to apply that uh, and you start to move away from it as you move into leadership. So make sure you know that and are aware of it and are ready for that. And I think what happens is you get to a point where you realize that um, you have an ability to have a broader impact when you're in leadership. And so you kind of realize there's this trade-off. I'm willing to not be the person in the lab because I'm going to help build the next lab and I'm going to help groom up the next people in that lab who are then going to have, uh, you know, the, the future impact. And so I think that's a um, that's a good thing to acknowledge. And then to the, you know, this is a, a kind of a side note from that is the, the motivations. Um, 
you know, over the course of my 30 plus year career, I think we've kind of seen a shift. It, leadership used to be about power and control, right? Hierarchical, yeah. positional power, money, um, things like that, feeling important. Um, and uh, that never really resonated too well with me, um, probably why I took so long to move <laughs> into leadership. Um, but I really think there's a, a more growing awareness that it, um, those aren't the best motivations to be a leader, right? Um, knowing what strengths you have, what you can bring to the table, seeing challenges and believing that you have something you can do to address those challenges. Um, that's really powerful. And I think that sets you up to have people want to follow you more so than just having a block high on the org chart, right? Um, and so I would really encourage people to reflect really, really thoughtfully about why do you want to move into leadership? Um, you will be more successful if you are coming at this with a, I know I can make a difference, I can make an impact, and here's what I need to do to do that. And that's my thought. Love it. Love it. And I also love the fact that you, in your book, your systems engineering book, you talk to emotional intelligence. You talk to soft skills, lots soft of soft skills, skills in there. Absolutely. Which is, which is great to see um, in a book like that. So Yeah. Yep. Very good. That was definitely an intentional discussion on our part to add that in, to move away from being purely technical, because yeah. as a system engineer, yeah. very much leadership kind of role exactly. inherently. So exactly. yeah, the soft skills are incredibly important. So very good. Okay, my turn again. So I would love to know what you see as the differences and similarities between being a chief scientist and a chief engineer, because you've been in both roles. So yeah, yeah. I have like some quick thoughts on that, but I, I've never been in a chief scientist role. So yeah. I'm really curious oh. how you would, how you would uh, differentiate these two. Yeah, so I feel like so the pace is similar, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm just going off of my experience as a command chain versus my experience as a department chief scientist. The pace is similar. There's a lot, like as you mentioned, there's a lot going on um, in both roles. You you really have to be on top of your game to kind of keep your head above water. You know, from technical meetings, mentoring, advisory panels, we talked about, you know, we talked about research reviews, and the pace is, is it's demanding for both roles, but I feel like there's more of a routine, <clears throat> um, which I appreciate as a command chain. Okay, yeah. Um, I mean, your, your schedule's packed 100%, like there's barely any breathing room, but you kind of know from day to day, from week to week, from month to month, kind of what you're, you're going to be doing, um, and, and barring, you know, the, the, you know, the fire that you have, the fires that you have to put out. But as a, as a chief scientist, I feel like there are routines, um, but a lot of what I do is based on, you know, recommended research, a panel that I have to pull, you know, pull together and or, you know, brief that. Um, it's about the threat that pops out that we have to try to tackle and try, have to try to mitigate. And lots of travel. There's lots of, <laughs> lots of travel. But I, at the end of the day, I love the spont you know, the spontaneity and I love kind of that, that, you know, you never know what, you know, from day to day, week to week, what uh, what you're going to be in for. Yeah. So. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. I was thinking that as well, right? So, like, science versus engineering, scientific research versus engineering. It's kind of like the scientific research is the earlier phase, right? right. And the engineering is more of the application of right. the results of that yeah. research. So, it is kind of inherent that it's going to be a little more unpredictable for good reason lot, and with good impact, right? Exactly. More uncertainty. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I can see that. So, uh, so yeah, interesting, interesting insights. Very good. Given the current situation overseas and, and the impending engagements that uh, leadership in the Pentagon is assuming that that's going to come down the pike here, here pretty soon. Talk to, as a command chain, Crane's ability to adapt 
to maneuver and to respond quickly to pressing warfighter needs. Right. So this question of moving quickly and being responsive, especially with what we see kind of looming on the horizon, which is it just can be daunting, right? Um, and and this is something that I really am constantly kind of thinking about and trying to influence in, in this role, right? Um, we're, we in the military and certainly the government as a whole, not really historically known for moving quickly. Um, and so, you know, a couple thoughts on that. The first is that I, I, I we're seeing broader awareness and understanding that that really is a problem, right? That, that we have hamstrung ourselves with the way that we do things and all the bureaucracy. And so it's nice to see very, very senior leaders acknowledging that. Um, and realizing we need to do something differently and creating opportunities for that, even at the highest level. Um, coincidentally, just this morning, was reading an article about um, Rear Admiral um, uh, Rothenhaus. He's our new CNR, right, Chief of Naval Research. And he was echoing this comment, right? Like, we don't do this well enough, and we need to get better because, um, you know, we see some things coming on the horizon that we need to be able to respond quickly. Um, seeing that from the high levels is, is promising, right? Um, devil's in the details, right? We're never going to be a Google, right? We can't. We're not that kind of business. Um, but but that's probably a, that's a nice way to segue into kind of the crane perspective. You asked me specifically about crane, right? So one of the things that we do well at Crane, I believe, is is this focus on the mission, right? Supporting the warfighter, what the warfighter needs. Um, and we have in a lot of places in this organization very, very tight connections to the warfighters. We do the warfighter-driven challenges, and we have teams who are just like inherently really connected um, with the folks who use the systems that we develop and support. Um, and so that that helps us be motivated to respond quickly, right? And so then when we have these opportunities to maybe try something a little bit differently, especially as up higher, they're realizing let's give them some opportunities through other you know, business mechanisms or whatever to, to reach the non-traditional players, to move more quickly, um, our folks are quick to grasp on that because we work to, to get that response in. Um, another thing that occurs to me is that just organizationally, the way we have really worked, try to, to shift the, the structure and culture of really being a, a very much a team, right? So, so in a lot of organizations, it's not uncommon that the folks that do the supporting work on the business side kind of feel separated from the, whatever the direct work is in any kind of business, right? Like the support staff that helps run a hospital is not the same as the doctors and nurses, right? But they're still so important. And and I feel like there's been this effort at Crane really to make that team, you know, sense of culture. Um, so we have, for example, some of our, our IT folks literally sit in the parts of the organization they support, right? They're embedded with the exact people they serve. So they can understand that when these engineers say, I really want to do this, and the network, I can't, you know, or this, there's this rule. And and then those IT folks, they understand the why. And they can say, oh, okay, well, we can't do A, but we could maybe try B. And that's what we need, right, to help us really be responsive. So I think that's great. It's that idea of, of how can we get this done? Um, you know, at, at Crane and in, in a lot of the, the, the naval research organizations that, that I've interacted with and been in, right, there's a certain um, patriotism and pride, right, that, that helps us drive that as well that I think is really good, really strong, particularly strong here at Crane, I think. Um, drive, drive to serve, desire to serve, right? Um, that'll help you keep your focus on the right thing and, and work together to get to get the result we need. Um, and, I, and I would be remiss myself if I didn't mention the digital technologies, right? So that's going to help us move faster and, our, and already is, right? That's a big part of my job, um, really specifically. And for me, what that is, is really thinking about leveraging those digital technologies to help us work more smartly, right? It's not just about taking paper and turning it into electrons, right? This is about shifting the way we do business and finding all those little places where technology can help us and then encouraging our people to also say, 
but what else, right? Like how else can we do this? How can we really shift things um, and, and, you know, DevSecOps, leveraging AML, Software Factory, we're doing some of that, right? I, we want to do more of it, um, and, and we've made some progress there, but it's going to be just an ongoing challenge. But so part of my job to keep trying to encourage and enable folks there uh, and champion our successes and share them, right? So that successes in one little spot could be replicated somewhere else or could be scaled up. Um, and so that's kind of a fun part of my job, actually, to see as we succeed there and just really encourage our folks to think differently. So. Thank you. Okay, um, so when you were sitting in my office for those 90 days, at one point you made a comment. I have lots of, I admit, I have lots of books on lots of shelves of all kinds of different uh, different focuses, right? Leadership and, and technical stuff and whatever. So you commented on my book collection. I'm curious if you have a favorite book, uh, either professional or, or, or personal or whatever. So uh, Yeah, no, so I do. So, I, so the probably my favorite book, that's a, that's a tough question, would be... Um, Dark Matter by David Crouch. Okay. So it's it's a it's, it's a near future look at life around multi-dimensional travel. Interesting. It's yeah. It's it's a great it's a great read. Um, I'm a nerd, right? So sci-fi. <laughs> sure. I'd highly recommend that. Um, so other books are like the uh, The Martian. I don't know if you've heard of. Made a movie about it. Um, uh, Andy Weir um, is the author of that. But yeah, so books like that. The like, sci fi. Yeah, sci fi yeah, for sure. Very fitting. Yeah, well, thanks. I like it. <laughs> very nerdy. I, that's okay. Very Actually, nerdy. Listen, you saw the stack on my, on the top of my yeah. shelf is where I have the vertical. There's so many, I had to stack them vertically in my super, you know, design of experiments and all kinds of system engineering books and risk management, project management and all that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, but copy, they're copy. fantastic resources. I, I, yeah, so, yeah, 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 I agree. <laughs> so, so mostly sci-fi. Every now and then I'll, I'll get into some historical reads. Um, uh, my good friend and colleague put me onto a book by James um, Lowen called Sundown Towns, um, which is a great read. Um, I'm halfway through it. It's heavy. Uh -huh. It's very heavy. Okay. But yeah, it's a, it's a great historical account for sure. Um, professional reads. I read a lot of research papers, mm, as, as you I know, bet. and as you do as well. <laughs> um, yeah, I just like, I just like learning. Um, but just as important as discovery, I think, is is learning about the ability to communicate science, mm -hmm. right? So I've been kind of looking through a lot of the works of, uh, like, Carl Sagan, lots of the science communicators, you know, Brian Greene, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's um, awesome, right? Yeah, Richard Feynman. So, yeah. So I think that that's important as, as a leader, as a scientist, as an engineer, that to be able to articulate these relatively complex um, concepts. Absolutely. I happen to be reading a Carl Sagan book right now. Believe it or not, really? a friend, I'm pretty sure, I can't remember, a friend, I think, gave it to me. It's called The Demon Haunted World. And it's about science, right, as compared to... Um, you know, he talks a lot about stories of alien, abduct, alien abduction and things yeah. like that. And so it's really, he's a very incredibly critical thinker, right? Like, show me data. Yeah. Like, I fully believe that you have great conviction of this, whatever this was you know or you saw. Show, me, show data. me data. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. It's an interesting read. Uh, so, so yeah. yeah. So good stuff. Yeah. And I do love, I, I appreciate all your comments about the variety, right? I think that's important, too. It's, it would be super easy 
to just kind of focus on, you know, and I, and I advocated for, right, self-development. So, you know, the nerdy stuff, right, yeah. keeping those technical books. But there is definitely so much value in, you know, read some fiction, right, or read some historical-based stuff. Read, um, there's a couple of bios I've read that I find really interesting, um, you know, biographical, you know, uh, accounts. Uh, and and uh, I think that's good because broadening your perspective is really important, especially in our, in our jobs. So good stuff. We'll have to share some more recommendations on books. Very good. All right. I think it's back to you, right? Is it back to me? I okay. think so. <laughs> All right. So you're known for your energy and your passion, and it comes through in everything you do, and I'm, I'm sure that the listeners can, can hear and feel that through through the microphone, through their speakers. So what are you passionate about after after you leave the gate? Passionate about after I leave the gate? Okay, so that's not the hobbies question, right? Could uh, it, it could, could be. be, right? Yeah, I think Sandy asked me that hobbies question way back when. So no, I, I like this idea of, of what am I passionate about out, outside the gate, because that's a different spin on it. Um, so a uh, few thoughts come to mind. Family is very important to me, for sure, right? So a lot of what drives me and what I make sure to make time for has to do with, with family. And then I think the other thing, how to describe this, right? So I'm very much into experiences, right? I'm not a super materialistic person. I certainly like nice things for sure, right? But if I'm going to spend money, I'm more than likely to spend it on some sort of experience. Anything from eating a meal to a trip to an event, you know, uh, cultural events, uh, fabulous stuff to do in, in Bloomington that my husband and I are really enjoying. We've been to a couple of fantastic concerts there at Switchard Park recently. Um, uh, Symphony Orchestra last night and last Thursday, Molly Tuttle, Bluegrass, right? for free right in our park. Amazing. Um, and so that's what I really love, right? So when you talk about what am I passionate about is more of those kinds of things. Um, you know, I have some hobbies, of course, uh, everybody does, right? Um, but I think that combination of really life experiences and, and being with the people who are, who are near and dear to me, so that's family and good friends. Um, that's probably how I would answer that. Yeah. I want to hear a couple of your hobbies. So, um, <laughs> I always have to mention singing because it feels like a classic hobby, right? People say things like golf or whatever. And so I have, I've sung pretty much my whole life and had some really cool opportunities actually to sing with different groups, um, starting in elementary school, um, you know, it's kind of church choir starting and then, um, acapella groups in high school, acapella group in college, wow. um, Actually, one summer had an opportunity to sing with the Oratorio Society of Washington because I grew up in Washington, D.C., and we recorded for a Russian opera, and my dad and I got to do that together. My parents are both singers, and so they were – I was in college at this point, but I was home for the summer, and my dad said, hey – you could come join us, uh, and we're doing this. It's called Boris Budinov. Really weird, right? This is so strange to talk about. Um, but they needed more singers, and uh, and that my voice type is really good for choral stuff like that. Uh, and and so he said, come try out. And uh, yeah, that was heck of an experience. Um, and so I and then I actually, when I was in Florida, sang with an acapella women's barbershop group, Sweet Adelines, which was really very fun. We even did competitions, which was great. Wow. Um, so it's just. I enjoy it. I enjoy the the group at the aspect of that, right? And there's something about that, you know, blending your voices and hearing that. And when it's really good, it's just really good, right? And just being a part of that is is really awesome. So I've always loved um, singing as kind of a hobby. But I think the other things that I cite, and this goes back to the experiences, um, my husband and I love being outdoors, doing stuff, right? Hiking, biking. Um, we tend to hike and bike and then go eat somewhere. <laughs> Some more experiences, right? <laughs> um, 
But uh, and when we were in Florida, we were at the beach and on the water all the time. He loves being on the water. Um, I'm happy to walk along the shore by the water. And I do like being on the water, but he's way more passionate about it. Um, and so we miss that a little bit here. But um, but yeah, we, we find ways uh, with travel and other things to do that. So yeah, I would say being, being outdoors and just doing activities outdoors, um, learning things and then uh, and the singing and, and being, being with people when you're doing that. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I know you a little bit. Sure. Very good. Okay, well, I'm going to give you kind of the same question. I love how you wrote your questions. They're so much more fun than mine. i gotta, I got to up my game because mine is basically kind of the same, but all I thought was, well, tell me about yourself outside of work, right? <laughs> and that's what I always ask no, everybody. Like but, that. yeah, to get to know you a little better, yeah. what is James like outside the fence line of training? So, so I'm, a, I'm a father of a 17-year-old okay. swimmer. He's, okay. a, he's, a, he's a junior now. I, it even kind of hurts coming out. He's already a junior. Um, at Bloomington North High School, again, he's a swimmer. I'm also an assistant coach there. But yeah, father, he's got you know, he's got no siblings, so he's a little, he's a little spoiled. He won't, he won't tell you that he is. Um, he's driving now. He's got a girlfriend. And he's barely at home. Um, and that all happened in that order for some strange reason. <laughs> That's how they are exactly. Yeah. So I'm also a husband to a, a lovely wife. My wife Khadija. She's a um, computer scientist as well. She's uh, she's a professor at DePaul University. Oh, very cool. And yeah, so a cool thing about her is that her department, her and her colleague, are responsible for the the highest concentration of female computer scientists in a computer scientist department in all of academia. In, in all of the U.S., nice, which is insane. Yeah, That's so awesome. I love giving that plug to her and her, her colleague. Yeah. Also, a brother. Um, I've got five sisters. I'm the only boy. Oh, so wow. People say that that explains my my patience and demeanor. Um, I don't think I saw the inside of a bathroom until college. Um, you just had no time. Exactly. <laughs> no, yeah, yes, no, just out. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'm pretty active as well. Um, Khadija and I play tennis quite a bit. I'm actually ranked now in the USTA for really? tennis. Yeah, so wow, it's, a, it's a little fantastic. crazy. That's yeah, cool. we probably play a little, a little too much tennis to be, to be honest with you. But um, I've got probably ten surgeries on, on, under my belt. So, but yeah, I love it. It's, it's fun. It's, it's a great de-stressing sport. Um, but yeah, that's a little bit about me. That's good. Yeah. yeah, the kids, we're just ahead of you with the kids thing. So our, uh, you know, speaking of experiences and everything, we're headed out actually pretty soon to go see our son and his long-term girlfriend have just settled in Denver. So we're gonna, that that kind of flowed too, right? yeah. kind of like you said, like wow, this is oh, this is happening. Yeah. They're they're yeah. adulting. They're they're pairing up. Yeah, like wow, okay, if the, the, the speed picks up as they get older, but it's it's all it's it's awesome, right? yeah, because you get to see yeah. them become their own little human beings out in this world. Uh, and it's a it's a little bittersweet, but it's fantastic because I'm sure that your son will be an awesome young man. Well, probably already is, you. and will Appreciate continue to be that. when he heads off to college and all the other fun. So. That's great. Thank you for sharing all of that. Very cool. I want to meet your wife now. Yeah. All right. Tell her yeah. she's got to be fan. I will. Sure. <laughs> I don't play tennis very well, so we'll have to find somebody. <laughs> Maybe we can just go like eat somewhere. <laughs> very good. All right. Well, great. 
Well, hey, so I think that's probably about enough for today. Uh, and, and it's been really great to have this conversation with you. And I want to thank you again for sitting in for me. Uh, it was really nice to be able to just kind of set everything aside and go really dig in on, uh, and I was getting to dig into a technology, right, with artificial intelligence. And that was very fun to have that break to go kind of nerd out a little bit. Yeah. And it was nice to know that you were keeping the wheels from falling off at home yeah, <laughs> for well. me. Really so, appreciate the opportunity, and yeah. it was not much. It was not a heavy lift. Okay. You've done so well here. Everything was basically just kind of in auto, auto mode. So, yeah. But, yeah, for sure, appreciate the, the, uh, the, uh, the opportunity. Okay. So, as you probably know, I always give my guests the opportunity to pick my next guest. So, would you like to nominate someone to be the next interviewee on Chen Chen? Yeah. So, I would like to nominate Tom Talbert who is a Chang over yes. in WXQ, Expeditionary Warfare. I know he's he's quite busy now with with Thor's hammer coming on the pike, but yeah, I would I'd love to to hear him hear him on this podcast. I like that recommendation. Tom was one of the first people that I worked with when I came here to Crane because I was in that division when I brought it when I came in as the cybersecurity uh, chief engineer. Tom was the division chief engineer there, um, and he is a great guy and has been a wonderful asset uh, to the Chen community. And uh, and yeah, doing some really interesting work right now. Oh I'll yeah, have fun coming up with some questions for him. Interesting and so, important work for sure. So that'll be good. Yeah. All right, awesome. I will add him to the list. Thank you. Yeah, great. Well, then thank you for making some time to come out and see me again here today sure. and talk about this. And I uh, hope you all enjoyed this conversation. And we will see you again for another episode of Chat Chat.